So, uh, how many of you have no idea what wassail is? <laughs> it's hot cider. Now, knowing that, how many of you would pick wassail? Good. All right. All right. So, everything changes when you understand. All right. Great to see all of you. And um, just a little reminder that we're doing at every, trying to do at every service uh, coming up to the new year is that if you're part of the 9 a.m. service and you can move to one of the other services, it makes sense for you. And, you know, like, hey, I can, I can do that. It's not going to be a big deal. We're trying to encourage that. We had in the fall, we'll have uh, kind of a fullness, you know, it happens in the fall, it happens again in the winter where things get really full, where attendance is up, and we had a lot of uh, Sundays where the 9 a.m. service was really way too packed. It's actually too packed right now for, let's say, a family of four would have trouble finding seats together, you know, that kind of a thing. So that's, that's the way we kind of look at it, and you know if you come in and then you can't find. So if you can move to the 11 or to the Saturday evening, that would be great. We would love to have you do that. We don't want all of you to go, uh, but we'd love for some of you to do that. And um, all right, so I want to encourage you to open your Bibles, if you would, please, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and if you don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles in the seat rack right in front of you, and it's page 1026 in those Bibles. If you're using a smartphone or tablet device, uh, it is, uh, we're using the NIV, the New International Version. And so we're in a series called O Holy Night that takes us through next weekend, which, uh, by the way, just to make sure everybody understands, we've got five services next weekend, no services on Sunday morning or Saturday night next weekend. So if you come at 9 a.m. next weekend, you'll go, everybody left to the 11 a.m. service including the pastor. Uh, so we have five identical services, two in the afternoon on Sunday and three on Tuesday. No services on Monday, all right? Um, anyways, uh, if you're brand new with us, uh, hopefully you got one of these new here brochures on your way in, and inside is a sermon application guide, and you can take notes on there. You can pick these up any week, any given week on the kiosk. Uh, on the way in, but it's a, it's a, it's a help if, you, if that helps you, uh, but it also has reflection questions so that we can bring the story of God to life uh, in our daily lives. All right, we're going to pray uh, as we enter this second movement of our worship, which is listening to God and to his word, and we don't hear it, not really hear it, unless the Holy Spirit awakens what he wants us to understand and hear, so we ask him to do that, and this uh, this prayer is based on Galatians chapter 4, so please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are sovereign. Through your plans and your purposes, or though your plans and your purposes are beyond our understanding, we can trust in your provision and in your perfect timing. Your word tells us that when the time had fully come, you sent your Son to be our redemption. Jesus took on flesh and became poor so that we could know the riches of your love the generosity of your grace, and the peace of your presence. So, Father, open our hearts and guide us by your Spirit as we follow where you lead. 
trusting in the truth of your word and the fulfillment of your promises. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you through this Advent season. We also thank you for the opportunity uh, that comes next week with our Christmas services and the invitations, the, the really easy invitation to ask someone to come and worship uh, for a Christmas service. And I pray for those invitations that are going to be going out this week or have gone out already. And I pray for the service to be one where you shine, your glory shines, and the wonderful plan of your salvation and the beauty of your grace comes through in every way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this series, O Holy Night, is uh, an exploration of passages from Luke 1 and 2, passages around the Christmas story. And we're looking at it through the lens of phrases from the song, O Holy Night. And specifically this week, it's the phrase, fall on your knees, O hear the angels' voices. Now, this passage doesn't mention anyone falling on their knees, but it's hard to imagine the scene happening without someone falling on their knees. We have angels' voices. And normally when angels speak in Scripture, people get very afraid. They are terrified. The passage says they are terrified. So it's hard to imagine that these shepherds who are out in their fields where it is pitch dark and there are no lights, uh, you know, from a city or, you know, the, the kind of lights that kind of keep our skies um, lit up, that when an angel shows up in light and begins speaking, that the shepherds would not fall on their knees or more likely fall on their faces. Um, so we're going to be looking at that. And uh, one of the things about prayer, uh, and not just like when angels come, but about prayer in all of Scripture is that it is a very physical thing. Prayer is a physical thing. A lot of the time when the Bible describes someone praying, says someone is praying, it will oftentimes, maybe most often, I don't know, oftentimes it will describe the posture that they're in because prayer is a very physical thing. What do you think is the most common posture? Just think about that for a moment. What is the most common posture that's described in Scripture when it describes someone praying? Anybody venture a guess? Kneeling? Okay. Anybody else? On the ground, face down? That's the one I thought would be number one, but it's not. Number one is praying with hands lifted high. According to one person's count, I don't know if he went through the whole Bible just, you know, reading, but that's, that's the one that came up. Number two, close second, is face down on the ground. Distant third, but third, is, is kneeling. It wasn't the, like, preferred position, probably hands lifted high if you're standing, lying down in the face, would probably the ways that the Hebrew people um, mostly prayed. And remember, when we read the New Testament especially the historical books like Acts or the Gospels, we're reading stories about the Hebrew people because all the early Christians, the first early Christians, were all Jewish people. And so those are the kinds of descriptions that we have of prayer. One pastor commenting on the act of kneeling in prayer said this, kneeling in prayer sends a signal to my entire being. Uh, and that's not just true 
of kneeling. That's true of every prayer posture. When we take a posture in prayer and, you know, our usual way and in a church like this, our usual way might be different in your personal prayer practice, but our usual way is to close your eyes and bow your head, right? So it sends a signal. The problem is um, if you only have one, that can just become something that you just do and it doesn't send any signal. But when there is a little bit of variety, you can actually send a signal to your entire, entire being. So this line, fall on your knees, it's a call to respond to the message of Christmas. In that song, it's a call to respond to the message of Christmas. Falling on your knees can, can indicate a lot of things, and I'm going to show you in a few minutes. We're going to look at just five of the things that can be communicated, um, reasons to fall on your knees, things that might be going on, ideas or emotions that would make us fall to our knees. And we're going to look at these through the prism of this passage. So we're going to see some reasons to fall on your knees uh, in the passage that we're looking at today. And I really believe that as we look at these five reasons for falling on our knees as we read the, the Christmas story, I really think it's the kind of thing that can increase your Christmas spirit. Uh, yesterday, uh, I had some time alone uh, Lois was uh, help watching some of the kids because uh, one of our other kids just had, or one of our sons and his wife just had a brand new baby, so uh, another grandchild for us. And so I was alone at home working on my sermon, and I had some music going, and I'm like, I'm going to do all five of these postures, and not just do the postures, but pray the, a prayer that would, would make sense with that posture. And I can tell you it sent a signal to my entire being. So it's something that you can do uh, yourself as well. All right, so we're going to read the passage and then uh, we'll look at those five prayer postures. Beginning in verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken in the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their hometown to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to, to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. All right. So I'm going to need a little help in today's sermon. Uh-oh. Uh 
If you're listening back there in the green room, I left the pillow over by the desk. Could you please bring it? <laughs> All right, we need a pillow uh, because of what we're going to be doing. I need, I need a little help. I have someone up my sleeve for the 11. I accosted someone coming into the service yesterday, uh, and uh, she was game for doing this, but I need someone who loves drama, acting, um, who's willing to ham it up a little bit, enjoy a little bit, because I want to make this as memorable as possible. We're going to demonstrate all five kneeling postures, all right? So this will be kind of like, um, what's that called when, that kind of comedy where it's unplanned? Improv, yeah, okay, it's a little bit of improv here because if you come up here, you don't even know what these are. All right, who would be willing to do that? All right, Jennifer. Okay, you can wait right there. I'll bring you up when it's time. You'll be doing two of them. I'll demonstrate the first one and then you'll do the next two. You up for this? Okay, all right, here we go. All right, so first uh, reason to kneel uh, is kneeling in allegiance, all right? Now, now, the key word, I don't have this in your outlines, but if, you're, if you have an outline with you, the key word is king from this passage. The key word is king. So sometimes falling on our knees is an expression of allegiance or submission, um, like to a king. And, um, and when I think of the, the prayer posture, I'm not going to ham it up. Uh, you don't have to ham it up, but if you, if you want to ham it up, it's, it's great. Um, so in this posture, uh, what I think of is of a knight kneeling down in front of a king, you know, and being, you know, knighted, that kind of a thing. And I actually look some of these up, and there's different postures, but that's where I got the pillow idea, because a lot of times they do have pillows for them or at least uh, something soft to put down. So I think of, of kind of a, a posture that it's, you know, is like this before, before a king. So humble, before the king, the king is knighting the person. And, and this whole idea of kneeling before a king, of allegiance to God, comes through this, this passage in, in so many different ways. By telling us um, that the reason Mary and Joseph are telling us... Uh, the reason Mary and Joseph make the trek to Bethlehem, uh, Luke is making a point that Jesus is the coming king. That's why Bethlehem is there. That's why they're going to Bethlehem. It's making that point. It's not just, it so happens that that's where they had to go. Uh, This is a subtext of the passage. It's a subtext of the whole Gospels. All the Gospel stories is that Jesus is king. It's a subtext of the entire New Testament. Jesus comes preaching the kingdom. That's what he comes preaching. And he comes as the king of that kingdom. But you have to understand that that is a dangerous message in the Roman Empire. The proclamation of a new king is a dangerous message in the Roman Empire. That means this king, and what is communicated through is this king is the king of kings. He's the king of all other kings. He is above Herod the Great, who was the king in Israel at the time. He is above the governor representing the Roman Empire. He is above the emperor who's mentioned in verse 1, Augustus. He is above all of them. And Augustus at this point is at 
like the pinnacle of his power and his fame throughout the Roman, Roman Empire. Augustus had turned the Roman Republic into an empire and made himself the emperor. He had declared that his deceased adoptive father was divine, which made him a son of God. Uh, poets would write songs about him, uh, just talking about how great he is. And historians would write during this period histories of the Roman Empire. And the point of the histories were that everything was pointing towards Augustus, that he is the climax of all Roman history up until this point. He had brought justice to the Roman Empire. He had brought peace to the Roman Empire. He was referred to as a savior of all the people in the world. And in certain parts of the empire, he was actually worshipped as a god. Take everything said by the angels to the shepherds. Not just to the shepherds, but what the angel says to Mary and what the angel says to Zechariah. And you can see that the message of the gospel would have been seen by Rome as dangerously subversive and revolutionary if they got wind of it. So David Garland, who's a a uh, scholar and a historian, he writes this. He says, Luke's description of the birth of Jesus in the time of Pax Augusta, which is the peace brought by Augustus, it challenges imperial propaganda and it proclaims that Jesus is the real Savior, the real Lord, and the real bearer of peace for the whole world. It's a politically subversive message then. It's a politically subversive message today. And in saying that, I'm not saying that Jesus was like this revolutionary in the way that we think of revolutionaries from the past or the present. The reality is that Jesus and the gospel, they're subversive in all spheres of life, all spheres of life, including politics. But the fact that it is a politically subversive message is a message that we need as Christians today. We need to hear this really clearly. It doesn't take away from the authority of earthly rulers. It doesn't mean we can't have allegiance to earthly rulers or to political parties or to po politicians, but it does mean this. The gospel relativizes all other authority, but it absolutizes Christ's authority. And we need to hear that, especially during this political season. We need to hear that and remember that. So fall on your knees. Jesus is king. All right, the next one. Come on up, Jennifer. Let's give Jennifer a hand for volunteering. The next one is kneeling in awe. All right, give it some thought. Kneeling in And when she's done, by the way, take a bow. We're going to give you a great applause. You can sit down and get ready to come up for the next one, all right? Okay. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> I like the oh part of that. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, the key word here, by the way, if you're taking notes, thank you, Jennifer. If you're taking notes, the key word here is providence. All right. Providence. And the oh is pretty appropriate for, for this with what we're going to look at. If you follow the storyline of the Bible, uh, you know that the greatest king in the history of Israel is King David. And you know that God made a promise to King David. He said, you're going to have a son whose reign will never end. He will be the king, 
and his reign will never end. And you know that his hometown was Bethlehem. That's why it was called the city of David. And you know that the people of Israel, if you follow the storyline of Scripture, you know that the people of Israel were waiting for the Messiah to come from the city of David. And here God arranges for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem to a young man and woman from a town to the north of Gal- in Galilee, a town of Nazareth. The providence of God throughout the scriptures is nothing less than awe-inspiring. So Philip Ryken, a commentator on uh, Luke, says this, although Caesar would never know it, he had unleashed a chain of events that would turn the whole world upside down. For among the millions who had to register was a man named Joseph with his fiancée, Mary. The little, this, little fam- this little family seemingly swept up in the tide of earthly power gave birth to a son who would rule the world. And then he, he goes on to say this. What at first appeared to be a great show of Caesar's power actually proved the supremacy of God's sovereignty. Even Caesar's decree was part of God's divine plan. It just fills you with awe when you think about that. He's the most powerful man in the world, the Roman emperor, probably to become, the, you know, as you look back, the most celebrated of all Roman emperors. He, he exerts his power and it winds up serving God's divine plan. It's just absolutely amazing. But it's also something that's personal. And it's not just something like, oh, out there. Like, oh, that that would happen. But it's something that's very personal because what that baby and that little family, what would come from that is salvation. And that's something we all experience. But not only that, the providence of God is at work in every single one of our lives. God's providence, his hidden hand in history is at work in your life, it's at work in my life. The providence of God shown at Christmas is nothing less than inspiring but also comforting for us. You can know that whatever it is that you're going through right now, whatever it is that your family and loved ones may be going through right now, it will not derail God's good plan for you. It won't. And God's good plan extends way beyond anything that we experience here. Okay, we fall on our knees in submission, allegiance to uh, the King of Kings. He is the Lord of our lives. He's the Lord over everything. We fall on our knees in awe of God's providence, working out his good plan. Uh, the next one is going to be uh, a fun one. It's, uh, it's kneeling in joy. Got a little preview. Come on up, Jennifer. This will be the last one. Let's thank her again for coming on up. All right. The key word on this one is good news. All right. Receiving good news and the joy that comes with receiving good news. Um, there is, so there's not only just awe and, and wonder and all those kinds of, and allegiance, but there's also this receiving of good news. So look at verse 10 in the passage. It says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. All right, now, kneeling to good news may sound like a bit of a stretch, so can you do it in such a way that we would go, oh, that looks familiar, all right? That looks like, you know, 
if I were alone receiving good news, you know, what I might do or something like that, all right? Are you ready? All right, let's see it. All right. Thank you, Jennifer. Oh, I'm so glad I didn't line somebody up ahead of time. That was good. That was good. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right. Um, I hate to do this two weeks in a row to those of you who are not Vikings fans, but I am going to mention the Minnesota miracle uh, or the Minneapolis miracle again. And uh, you might have remembered uh, all the video that was caught of people celebrating when Stefan Diggs got his, his catch. I, I thought of that because I mentioned it last week. I thought of that and I wondered, did anybody kneel with joy? And, um, and I caught uh, these two and a bonus. Let's, uh, let's watch it real quick. <laughs> Are you kidding me right now? There you go, Jennifer. Let's... He did it. He did it. Stefan Diggs did it. <laughs> That's the bonus. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> it's natural, right? I mean, if you're really, really excited of falling on your knees and joy, you should have rolled over, though. That would have, that would have added, added something to it. Okay. Um, so I, I heard a statistic uh, just recently, within the last month or so, that help, helps, for those of you who are not football fans, helps you understand maybe a little bit of what, why that joy is happening and especially if you're not from minnesota we got lots of transplants here so the minnesota vikings are one of the winningest teams in nfl history they're in the top 10 percentage wise of winningest teams they're in the top 10 i can't remember what there are six or seven something like that that's incredible think about that but the only one in the top 10 who has not won a super bowl does that help you understand for those of you who are not Minnesota fans, just, and how, and then you add how close we've come so many times, because we're a winning team. You know, historically, we're a winning team. Year after year, you think, yes, it can happen. And it doesn't happen, and it just breaks your heart. Okay? So when something like that happens, it's like, God is on our side. Yeah. Providence is at work for a week. Just a week. Um, <clears throat> Okay, that's nothing compared to what the Israelites were waiting for and the suffering, the long suffering of the Israelites. It is nothing. Waiting for the Vikings to win is nothing compared to what the Israelites were waiting for. All right, so we fall on our knees in allegiance to the King of King. We, um, he's Lord of our lives. And uh, we fall in allegiance in awe of God's, where we fall in awe of God's providence, just like, oh, look what he does. And look what he's up to. We fall on our knees in joy, but we also fall our knees on our knees in surrender. And the, um, the, the key word here is peace. That's the key word, is peace. So uh, when I think of this, I'm not going to do this one because this one is very similar to the first one of allegiance. I'm not quite sure what would look different in it. I thought maybe, you know, head down, maybe hands out like, you know, I give you my kingdom, surrender, I give, I give it to you. So maybe that's what it would look like. Uh, but look at verse 13 and 14 and listen to those words of peace. Suddenly a great company of a heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. In a time of war, 
peace comes in a couple of ways. One is through total annihilation of the enemy <laughs> or surrender. It's going to be one or the other for the war to come to an end. The peace brought by Rome was legendary. It was first called the Peace of Augustus. It eventually is called Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. Um, just a few years before the birth of Jesus, uh, an altar of peace was built in Rome. That's it right there. So this goes right three or four years maybe before Jesus is born. This thing was built. And it was in honor of Augustus and in honor of the peace that he brought throughout the Roman, the Roman Empire. And then uh, some years ago, an inscription was found in another city. It was an inscription as Augustus was going to come to visit their town. And in this uh, inscription, there's a lot being said there. But one of the things it says is Augustus is savior of the whole human race. And another thing it says, and it says, and this is why, why um, he is savior. It says, land and sea hath peace. The cities flourish under the good, a good legal system in harmony with the abundance of food. There is an abundance of all good things. People are filled with happy hopes for the future and with delight at the present. All about Augustus. But Rome's power came through military might. But the peace that Jesus would bring came through a baby in a manger. It's quite a contrast. But don't miss that the peace that the angels proclaim to those um, is on to those on whom God's favor rests. It's, it's a peace that comes actually through surrender. It's, it's a peace that's not going to be experienced. Those who don't surrender to God don't experience the peace that can be between us and God in a relationship with God. And they don't experience the personal peace either that we can experience in our lives by surrendering, saying, God, you be God. I'm done being God in my life. There is a peace of surrendering our lives to our gracious, our gracious King. All right, one more. Uh, this is the last kind of kneeling. And, um, and I've been talking about ways that we might kneel in response. And this one does have a personal response, but I really want to focus instead on Jesus kneeling in this way. Because it's, the, it's, it's a posture of kneeling in order to communicate self-sacrifice. Uh, so the key word here is savior. And the picture that comes to my mind is very specific. That's why I wanna do this one. The very, it, you've seen it in epic stories. You know, epic stories are constantly retelling of God's story in various ways. And so in a lot of epic stories, it's when the hero of the story is about to die at the hand of an enemy. But they're, not, they're gonna die on their own terms, right? And so you've seen it many times where the hero falls on their knees, goes like this, and with head held high, basically saying, you can kill me, go ahead, but you will not win. And that is, that's, the, that's what's communicated in that word Savior uh, in this passage. Um, it's universally understood. Look at verse 11 and 12. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you, the angel says to the, to the shepherds. 
you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, you saw the juxtaposition there of verse 11 and 12, right? Of the ideas between those two. The titles that are given to Jesus in verse 11, and then the self-sacrifice of Jesus in verse 12. Um, he is Savior, verse 11. Today, in the town of David, a Savior. He's Savior. We know where that's going. But it's not just where it's going in the way that he's going to save us. It's more than that. Um, he is Messiah, which means the anointed one, which is the title that was given to kings in Israel. So he's a king. He's an anointed one, the king. And he's the Lord. This is who he is. But then, in contrast to that, how are they going to find him? Well, this is going to be the sign. This is how you'll know you find him. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, in, a, in an animal's feeding trough. Um, Philip Riken, again, uh, commenting on this, he says, if God the Son had received the universal welcome that he truly deserved, we might be tempted to think that it was some kind of honor to him to come to earth and become a man. It was not an honor. It was abject humility. It was infinite condescension. The depth of this, this whole idea really hit me uh, out of the blue just this week. And I was, I was driving back to the office from uh, Jerry's Foods and I had KTIS on, listened to Christmas music, and there was this big rendition We'll, we'll play it on your way out to this big rendition of Little Drummer Boy that was playing, and you might know that, that rendition. And I heard something in it that for some reason I've never heard before. And a lot of you might go, duh, Henry, but I just had not heard it before. So you know the line about him being a poor boy. You know, the Little Drummer Boy says, I'm a poor boy, and so I can't really get you a gift that is, you know, fitting for a king. I'd missed really what I think is the main point of that line. Um, this, is, this is how I heard that uh, song in the past. This is all I got from it. I am a poor boy. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give our king. And those are the words, but it's missing one word, one incredible word that just, that just hit me. Does anybody know what the word is? Two. I am a poor boy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way that you came to our earth, not only to die for us, but to experience our life, and not just experience our life for those of us who live in really surrounded by luxuries but to live the life of a poor boy and a poor man, that you are willing to do that for us. We pray, Father, in this Christmas season, we would be awakened once again to your self-sacrifice from the moment of your birth all the way through your death on the cross, that we would be awakened again to that. That would cause us 
to worship you, to be in awe, to be filled with joy, but even more than that, Father, that we would follow in your footsteps and live lives of self-sacrifice, lives you've called us to live, taking up our cross, dying to ourselves so that you might give us real life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we move into the third movement of our worship, which is responding to God's word. We begin our response here. We do it in a number of ways. One of the ways that we do it is through communion. And so we invite anyone who is a follower of Jesus to participate with us. And uh, we have... uh, We have these tables here, this table here. We have tables in the back that you can go to. Uh, When you go there, uh, we invite you to take the bread, remembering the body of Christ broken for you and dipping it in the cup, remembering his blood shed for you. That's that sacrifice of Jesus for our sakes. Uh, We invite those who are followers of Jesus because it doesn't make sense if you're not. So we invite those of you who are not to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior by putting your faith in him. Um, We respond in other ways. We respond in prayer very appropriately. We have our kneeling station back there. So uh, maybe you can go back there and kneel and pray. We have someone from our prayer team that will pray personally with you back there. And we have these light stations up here, which are an opportunity while lighting a candle to pray for the light of Christ to shine in the life of someone you know who's far from God. Uh, That all happens mostly during the first song. And so if you're new with us, uh, there's no particular order to it. You go uh, when you're ready. Uh, So let's continue uh, responding by worshiping together.
We're going to end our service with one last song. Feel free to continue responding however you see fit, but I want to invite you all to stand. We're going to go tell it on the mountain. One, two, one, two, that correspond as many as your family will be coming please choose one that you're going to come to if you can and take them from that particular pile that helps us know which services are going to maybe be overly full and we can prepare for that I want to invite you to put your hands in a posture of receiving and hear this benediction as you continue your response as you go from here hear the blessing of God the God that goes with you in everything that you do this is from Jude chapter 1, or Jude 1. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now 
and forever. Amen. God bless you.